Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Catherine Georgeson, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me, Mark. As a child, Catherine knew two things for certain. She would become an architect and she was not a boy. Catherine has a very unique perspective. She has witnessed and experienced the profession from the perspective of two genders. We discussed gender stereotyping here in the podcast in the past, and we've discussed the frustration of gender stereotyping in the private Entree Architect Community Facebook group in the past. Um, It's an important issue. My wife, who's also an architect, she's a licensed architect, she's my business partner. She leads all of the architectural services in our firm. She experiences the profession differently than I do as a man. She's treated differently, she's respected differently, She needs to earn her credibility every time as a professional. Every time she meets someone, she needs to earn that credibility as an architect. Catherine is a very accomplished architect. She's an acclaimed architect with dozens of design awards. She's a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. She's an active member in the Entree Architect community, and she has a very interesting story. And I wanted to learn that story. I wanted to hear that story and share it with you. So Catherine, thank you very much for coming on and joining me today on this podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad to sh- uh, be here with you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's start with your origin story. Uh, when did you discover your passion for architecture and who or what inspired you to become an architect? 
Well, as as you sort of alluded to in in uh, your your statement, I mean, um, it 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 was forever. I mean, it was from from a young child on. I was always building things. If it was Lincoln logs or American uh, bricks, or those were before Legos. Uh, <laughs> um, I had a train set, an HO train set very early on and was always working on that and building uh, the, 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 the buildings on the set and the scenery and late new layouts and that. We also lived um, in the city I grew up in or the town I grew up in, the, the university was across the street and this was in the late the 50s and 60s and they were on a building boom. So there was always construction going on um, around us. Um, the neighborhood was a, full of these old Victorian homes. And as they would expand the university, instead of demoing them, uh, they would move them. So every once in a while, there'd be oh, a wow. big house moving down the street and um, uh, they would move them to the, out, you know, to the suburbs or the outskirts of town and build these little uh, uh, cul-de-sacs of uh, historic um, Victorian homes. The town was a was an old lumber town, so you know these huge homes were all um, magnificently detailed and and had just incredible uh, woodworking and that that at that even at that time they couldn't part to uh, to to tear down. So um, you know we grew up in a uh, in a large Victorian. Uh, literally two houses down from me was a Frank Lloyd Wright home. Uh, one of his minor works, but you know it was very different in this neighborhood. Yeah, and um, the, the university and the museum. So we were always just sort of experiencing all this different sort of uh, art and, and architecture. Um, thinking back, I I think my grandmother was a want, you know was probably a frustrated architect or wanted to be an architect because she would always drive us around to. The construction site. So on the weekends, we'd tour homes under construction. So again, this was a big building boom era. Yeah. So we'd, you know, we'd walk through homes under construction. We'd drive through downtowns, and she would tell us about how there should be mixed-use development, and that people should be living upstairs, and the rest, you know, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> we talk about today is how to rejuvenate a downtown, or and that. So she designed her own house, which is still. A magnificent modern sort of statement. Um, what what was your what was your grandmother's background? Uh, she was a, a, a small business. Uh, her her parents owned a, a, a grocery store, butcher shop. Uh, who, so she more or less got that business. Although you know, then her husband, my grandfather. Yeah. Took that, you know, took that up. But she ran the business, the business side. And he did all the sort of. Uh, so front. do you do you have any idea? Because clearly she was inspired by architecture. She she was interested in it. She wanted to teach you about architecture. Do you have any idea why she was so interested? In it? I mean, to 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 take your grandchildren on a ride to construction sites and tour houses under construction is is not typical. So I'm wondering, you know, what inspired that in her? Do you know? Yeah, I, I don't really know, you know, and, and I, you know, and in finding, you know, when you're a kid, this is just what you do, right? right? I mean, right, exactly. Along. But, you know, thinking back on her and uh, hearing different stories, 
you know, from my mother, um, things that I, that I didn't realize um, that I had always assumed were sort of, you know, driven by my grandfather, uh, you know, were really driven by her. So she definitely was a very independent woman and very um, uh, headstrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, at the time and that always sort of had to take a back seat, you know, um, and, uh, you know, they had two, they had two daughters, my mother and my aunt, my, my aunt went into small business, uh, ran, uh, beauty shops. I mean, that again was, was something that you know, women, women did at that time. Yeah. Um, and my mother, that was what my mother was supposed to do, but she kind of like went off, you know, and started the family and everything. But when she went back to work, she went back at a, at a manufacturing company um, and um, sort of worked her way up through, you know, key punch operator to a, uh, a, an engineer, uh, project manager on a, some pretty major, um, it was a truck manufacturer, a pretty major um, um, development of one of their, their major product lines. So, you know, it was always these sort of, I, I, you know, I mean, Yes, I had the guy, the boy's perspective or the guy's yeah. perspective, or you know, at that time. Uh, but um, uh, it was always strong women around me, and I just thought I thought that was just the way the world was. I didn't know, and it being across from the university, and the neighbors were yeah. all professors, and some were faculty, some you know, and and that. So it was a very sort of socially liberal um, sort of area that we that we were in. So. Um, so do you do you remember the moment that you understood what an architect was and decided you wanted to do that? Um, well, again, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it was really, really on my my uncle, my aunt's wife, uh, husband, um, had a friend who um, was a developer, uh, residential developer in Milwaukee. So they would always get the blueprints for me. Yeah. So I was always getting these blueprints and, and looking at it. And my dad had a friend who was also a design, who, who was a house designer. In, in Wisconsin, you can be a you know residential designer. Yeah. He wasn't an architect, but he was a residential designer. So so we would go and talk to him and and visit him. Oddly enough, it was like he was godparents to my brother who could care less about any of this stuff. My brother, <laughs> you know, so he would always send the sketching pads and the, you know, the art, architectural books and all that to my brother. And then again, I would steal those. Um, and, and, and that, and I, and everybody knew that this is what I was interested in. Yeah. It was just that, you know, he didn't necessarily put it all together. Um, but, um, uh, so it was very early on. So, I mean, I, I, I definitely had, um, you know, say by second grade, you know, I was pretty, I mean, by third grade, I had a drafting station and, and all my equipment and was, yeah. you know, was a drafting. So it sounds, it sounds like you had no choice. <laughs> you were surrounded, no choice. Yeah, surrounded by no architecture. Choice. You were, you were being fed architecture. You were giving the, being given the tools of architecture. You were touring them with your grandmother. Yes. It was like you were being bred to be an architect. 
yes, I have I have no choice. Uh, um, uh, you know, and you know, I, I you know, you go back to high school reunions and that, and people say, "Oh, you're really smart because you know you continued through as as being an architect." And I'm like, right. "No, I I." I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm the same way. I, I decided when I was 10 and I put the blinders on and never looked. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, if it's, if, you know, I mean, I, now within architecture, there's a broad, broad, right. broad, broad scope of, of, of things you can do. And I always felt it was, you know, the two things I always felt it was that sort of Renaissance person. And that the other thing that attracted me was that it was a career that never had to end. That yeah. you could do it. You could just keep doing it. You know, and there was all the stories, Frank Lloyd Wright and, you know, architects that are going on until their 80s or 90s, you know, and, and that. And that's really appealing to me. Uh, I, I love that fact of it, that I can always just continue to do what I love doing. So you, uh, you went to university and you worked for several architecture firms. Um, when did you start your own architecture firm? Uh, I, I, I started it twice. I started one twice. Um, the first firm that I worked for was also a startup um, right out of school. A couple of professors and a couple of students, and and we got a great job. Um, and uh, you know, they we started the firm started. Um, it was very talent, you know, a lot of talent, a lot of hot uh, ego, a lot of and things exploded. <laughs> and um and then so i continued on uh sort of with those because i had been done doing a lot of the marketing and, and design and that so i continued on with with a lot of those clients and and use that as a basis to start a firm so i i that was in the 90s about 90 92 um and and we were modestly successful we grew to about four people we were getting you know i was continuing to uh, work in the arts and the performing arts and cultural uh, projects, which is what the first firm was, was had focused on. So that was great. You know, it was a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful building type, wonderful clients. Um, you know, they're so passionate about what they're doing. And that's what you and focus on now as well. That's, and I still try to focus on that. So yeah. did you do that all the way through? Did you, did you sort of be introduced to it in that first firm? And then even though you worked with, for other firms, did you, did you focus on that building type? All that the was way always through? my focus. That's yeah. always been my focus. Yeah. In fact, that's what started the first firm. Um, uh, they had gotten the faculty, the founders had gotten an NEA grant to study uh, regional theaters. And then that morphed into um, designing a, a regional theater for the uh, Milwaukee, and um, uh, the firm started off that. You know, we had we had at that time there was a major recession going on. We had the largest project in the state of Wisconsin, <laughs> so you know, and then we won a couple international competitions, and you know, we thought life was perfect. <laughs> yeah. So and so so today you have Orchestra Design Studio. When did you start that? So that started in about thirteen, about twenty thirteen. Um, I had uh, again been with a firm, and we were start you know to to kind of focus on this. We had some you know disagreements on how that should go, um, and uh, we just said, well, you know, 
let's just move on, you know. So we did, and we still worked, and I consulted with them for a while and back and forth and, and that. So um, it's, it's, you know, and during that time is, is um, you know, and that's when I started transitioning. With, or, with orchestra? Yeah, yeah, I, I had always been, I had always been Catherine with orchestra. Um, but, you know, going back and forth with um, the previous firm, I had started, I really started transitioning sort of under the radar in, in like 2010, 2009, mm-hmm. somewhere around in that area. So most of your profession, you were a man. Yes. And then when yes. you started, and so you s- started transitioning somewhere in the, in the 2000s, is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then when you started orchestra, you were Catherine. In or- yes. with orchestra. Yes. Yes. I mean, there was that there was that edgy time when you're sort of you have to have both hats on, so to speak. Um, I didn't know how every client would take it. Um, you know, again, fortunately, being in the arts, it's a pretty. <laughs> you'd hope it's a it's pretty a good building type to uh, to make a transition. Um, and and. Um, uh, and for the most part, they were. I mean, I even came out at you know to the whole, my whole industry and peers and everybody um, at a at a theater conference. <laughs> so wow! So you, you about, sort of about that. <laughs> you made the announcement on stage, basically. Basically. <laughs> wow, that's one way yeah, to do it. It was, it. A, <laughs> session, it was a, a session on gen, on gender, and um, I, I thought, what a better what better time. I mean, you know, this was. This was back, you know, everyone was debating the bathroom bills and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah. how do we react to it as a, as a profession? And, and how do we, how does the um, architectural engineering theater world uh, help address, you know, work with their clients to address gender neutrality and gender, you know, what, what impacts does that have on architecture? And how do we, you know, work that through our, with our client, help our clients get through this, um, and that? So I thought, perfect. <laughs> so did you have clients that that you worked with with both genders, or or were, was yes. there a clean yes, I did. between I, clients? I did. Actually, the, the 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 one and a couple, a couple of them. Um, one uh, in particular was actually the one that I used that I started the firm with um, that it was it was it was a small group in in mid-state Wisconsin that was trying to do a a, a restoration of a theater and um, uh, so I started that had worked with them for about a year and then that was the fallout it was like well that project's too small for us we don't want to deal with that I'm like we can't just drop them, you know? So, so I that's, you know, I'll take this and do it myself. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so they, they, they knew me as, 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 as male and, um, and then the, the project went on hold for, uh, well, it went on hold during my transition time. Um, and when it came back, uh, I went over and I t- talked to him and I was, I was probably a little more, androgynous I, you know I was just mm-hmm. I was just to tell them you know I didn't want to shock them I just right um, and um, 
the project had changed a little bit that it was more now more of a community center than a than a theater restoration because that's where the money was in the city that that's what they had determined through yeah. the marketing that there um, that, that, that was better more support there which is fine yeah um so when i told them their response was you know everyone was like well you know we the, we, we want what's in your head not we don't care what you look like um and uh but but the real response that i always go back to is you you represent exactly what we're trying to achieve we want to you know it's a small town um not very diverse they're saying but we want to entice we want to show that we're welcoming diversity yeah and, you know, so it was actually Transgender architect is perfect for that. Yeah, it fit their brand. <laughs> yeah, it fit their brand. It fit their brand. Now, I did have one client, maybe two, that um, said, "Fine, you know, we're fine with it, and fine with it." But though, as as it as the project progressed, you could tell they were not fine with it. Yeah. And they were not easy. And they had actually asked me to come to a couple because we we get involved in you know selling it to the to the supporters and the donors and you know and and and, and that and, and a lot more of of public appearances and, and so forth to to promote the projects. I mean that's and they had started asking me even after the transition just to well can you show up in a suit and tie again? You know can you Oh, I know, you know, and, and it just started getting awkward in the sense that I had sat through one board meeting and they started, there was a couple of women on the board and they just started shutting them down. You know, I brought a tax expert because they were talking about tax credits who basically wrote many of, you know, it was very involved in writing some of the local tax credits. Um, she wasn't good enough. Well, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> right. So, you know, I resigned, I resigned the commission. I just, I just couldn't see it. You know, at some point it was going to end anyways. Yeah. So, you know, why, why put everybody through that, um, that, um, and, and there was another project that just, it, it, it rushed to the end and then ended, you know, and they, just didn't want to yeah but that you know it, it's not fine i understand i can see where they would feel maybe it was a bait and switch um uh so i i can appreciate that um I, i'm not so forgiving now <laughs> yeah because yeah. they kind of know what they're getting um right. and 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 that and um uh you know so if i'm misgendered or something i i you know, I take a breath and I sort of correct them. And, you know, so we, we do spend some time on um, proper etiquette. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that. Um, so is that, is that something you actively have to do when you meet someone new to work with? Or is it, is it, does, does it depend on the person? It, it depends on the group. I mean, again, sort of the, the arts groups, um, and the groups, you know, a lot of times by the time the groups have, have 
felt comfortable enough to, to, to work with me. And, and, and they kind of know the story. I don't, a lot of times I don't address it um, up front, you know, up front, yeah. they, they, I, I feel they know. Um, and, and then you get in those um, weird situations is like, well, do they know? Do I tell them? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, they, <laughs> um, they've never met me before. They, you know, what? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done faster. That's RCAT.com. A-R-C-A-T.com. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com FreshBooks. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature. And Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of their unparalleled versatility. From heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heat company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. 
A few years ago, I was visiting Sonoma Wine Country in California. It was during the autumn, so it was a bit cool when the sun dropped below the horizon. One evening, we joined a group of friends for dinner at one of the big wineries, and, and we ate outside on the veranda. That amazing Sonoma sun was setting behind the vineyard, so it was getting rather cool that evening, but we were very comfortable. In fact, the temperature was perfect for an outdoor meal during a cool Sonoma evening. I looked up and around to discover why that temperature was so comfortable and found, yes, you guessed it, an Infratech heater integrated with the design of the wood trellis above our table. All these years later, I know it was an Infratech heater because back at the studio, we were planning a large outdoor space for a client and outdoor heating was part of that plan. And we ended up specifying six Infratech heaters for that project. Their amazing customer support team helped us specify the right units and we had a very happy and comfortable client. Infratech is specified at the most prestigious properties around the world. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcast. That's infratech-usa.com slash podcast. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Do you feel that that clients or contractors or um, people that you work with in the profession uh, have treated you differently as a woman than they did as a man in terms of respect and knowledge and uh, basically the, the stereotype of an architect and, and a female architect versus a male architect? Um, yeah, they, they have. And, and I did have one project where we transitioned right in the middle of construction. And um, that was very noticeable that, you know, sitting there at the table and go, you know, in the discussion, you know, here's the architect sort of like running the meeting. And the next time, literally like two weeks later, um, it was a completely different dynamic. And, um, you know, and, and I didn't know at first I was like, oh, is this because you know, the transgender issue? Is this because of the being, you know, presenting as a woman? Um, and, and I sort of concluded, again, it was for a university and, and an arts project on our university. So, I mean, it, again, a, a pretty liberal group. Um, I, I, I started, I, I, I really came to believe that it was more about, about being a woman, um, presenting as a woman. And I have had that happen in other meetings. You know where they didn't know, yeah. they didn't. You know, so they're the same thing. Um, there's just that that tendency for guys to talk over other guys. You know, talk over other people, <laughs> and, and they do it less with you know amongst among guys as they do with um, with women. So, so what what do you do when you run into that situation? I generally pause and 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 listen um and um once in a while i mean depending on how long it goes sometimes i i go back and i interrupt them you know i'll say you know i i was talking you know let me let me finish my thought and you can have your thought if it's just a comment or two you know i just let it run um but if it's if they really start going on or trying to 
command the meeting. You know, I'll say, "What? You know, no, I was, I was, I was talking." I will also do the same thing if I'm sitting there um, at a meeting and there's other women at the table, and somebody interrupts them. I'll, I'll, I'll stop and say, "Oh, you know, Janet was talking. You know, uh, let's hear her out. You know, you'll, you'll get your turn." <laughs> right. Right. So, so, so you need to guide them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, and it's, and again, you know, I mean, I heard all this from my mother. <laughs> I mean, she trained dozens of, of bosses. <laughs> you know? uh, and um, uh, my ex was a, was, a, was, well, she still is an, an architect and, um, you know, would hear it from her, you know, and, and that, and, you know, you'd sort of observe it in the firms, and uh, even then, you know, as, as presenting as a guy, I mean, I would try to be very careful of, of not interrupting, not talking over, making sure everybody got a voice at the table. Uh, it was always more of a team effort than, no, it's it's my ego and my, my thing. Unfortunately, especially in the larger firms at the time it, it was perceived as much of a it was kind of perceived as a weakness it wasn't perceived as a as a as a position of strength and uh, you know which surprised me I mean now everybody talks about this is what we want to do but even as far you know even 10 years ago or 15 years ago you know it wasn't it wasn't perceived that way um, and, and I'm not sure, ever, I think a lot of people play lip service to it. I'm not sure that a lot of the large firms that are, have these big establishment, you know, bureaucracies, yeah. maybe it's more of the mid-sized firms. I think the, the larger corporate firms, they see it and they, they want to be trendsetters and they're, they're doing what they can. Um, but the small, maybe the smaller and the, and the mid-sized firms that still have the partner, the original founders and, you know, the old guard and that they haven't quite as. Yes. Do you, do you feel that it was, and I'm, and I'm quite certain it wasn't easy, but do you think it's easier to have transitioned later in your career than it would have been earlier in your career because of your accomplishments and, and, and what you've accomplished in the past? Yes, yes, I, I truly believe that. I feel, I feel, I feel fortunate about that. Um, uh, in the sense that I did have an established record. I, I mean, I know several transgender architects that are stealth that um, that are in their twenties that um, they have not told anybody in their employment that you know that they're female that they're you know transgender females uh they're presenting as as that and because of their age and right combination of early hormones and everything (laughs) you know they could pull it off but um you know uh they're they're just petrified you know to to tell or or you know or or when they have told they've sort of gotten even more sidetracked or derailed than than some of the women in the firm um, not getting the, the plum projects or not even in, in one person's case, they didn't even get client contact anymore. They were just, you know, derailed. So I, I do feel, um, the combination of experience and, and age, you know, I mean, as you get more confident, the other thing that happened 
during after transitioning was I I, I just and and this is true across the board for almost every transgender person I know. Um, that there's such a relief that you're not hiding anything anymore, that your confidence level goes up. You're 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 more open. I mean, I was always kind of close. I was always told I was closed and angry, <laughs> too demanding. Um, and and now it's like you're laughing all the time. <laughs> you're smiling. You're you know and that. And I was, I was always high, you know, I was always afraid someone was going to find out or what if they find out, what if they figure this out? What, you know, what, you know, and that, and and it it sort of struck me, it was like, if everybody, you know, and even like, I think a lot of people that aren't transgender always feel like they're hiding or they've got a shield or a mask up because they're not really being their true selves for whatever reason. In a, in, a, in a corporate structure or a firm structure or the politics of it or whatever. If everybody could feel this open and free, can you imagine how, how cool that would be? <laughs> yes. you know, how productive we would be, how, how, how innovative ideas and where we would push this profession in, in, in uh, uh, design and problem solving and inclusion of, of, on that. I mean, it would just be it would be a whole different world, you know? I think to some extent we're getting there. I mean, I have very high hopes for the next, for the current generation of students and, and interns um, and, and young professionals. I mean, they seem totally just a different, a different acceptance level. But again, being a child of the 60s, I had all those hopes back then. <laughs> <laughs> I think things have changed. I, I have, so, I have, so I hope it sticks this time. <laughs> I have two, two, uh, two additional questions before I ask my final question. One, one okay. is, do you, do you have advice for a young architect who is struggling with that decision um, to transition? And what, I know that's a big question. But yeah, having having done it and done it at the time that you've done it um, and maybe we're talking to younger architects who are those people who are afraid that if they reveal themselves, their their life will be different. Um, Do you have any advice for them at all? Well, I mean, and and again, I. I, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think I think most most if not all transgender, gender, queer, gender questioning, you know, uh, individuals all kind of come to the same point at some time. It's like, this is so bad that I don't care anymore what happens. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna jump. And I think when they do jump off the cliff, when you do jump off the cliff, you do find you have wings that, that it really, whether they're, the cliff was just a step and there's, you know, a soft landing. Um, now that doesn't mean like you may not lose your job. I mean, you may lose your job. You may lose, you know, you will lose possibly friends depending on the, you know, who you're associated with. I hear horror stories of people losing family and that, 
But to be honest, I mean, most, a lot of transgender individuals, the other point is just not pleasant. I mean, it's, it, there, there, there's a suicide hotline for a reason. And, and you know, that's where, what a lot of them are, you know, debating. And, and so to put off not being your true self, I think is, is, is just, you're going to regret it. You know, you're, you're going to regret every year you, 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 hit, you, you were hidden. I mean, you can get over the money, you can get over the, the, the you can find a new job. There are going to be firms out there if you're talented there, you know, that, that, that find you, um, that needs your talent, needs your insight, welcome your insight. Uh, you may have to move out of your state. You may have to, you know, whatever, but, but um, uh, I just can't, I just don't, you know, you, you worked this hard to become an architect. Yeah, and, you know, we all know it's not easy. Right. <laughs> um, and put in that much dedication. This is a lot. This is, this will give you so much happiness and fulfillment and you'll be a better architect. Thank, so thank I, you. I for it, yeah, I would thank you for sooner. sharing that. I would always do it sooner and later. And I think the times are different. I mean, if I would have done it when I was, you know, 20 or 30, it would have been a totally different time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's not necessarily your age. It's more of the time of the society. It's the time. It was the political, the political, yeah. the political thing, you know, and I think back and it's like, I mean, I like, I, I knew this since I was eight years old um, or, or so. Um, and you go, well, you know, should I have trans, you know, could I, should I transition? And I was like, well, I probably, but I'd have a totally different life. I'd probably, I would still be an architect, <laughs> but um, it would be different. It, would it be better? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the trade-offs, I mean, I have a fam I had a family, I had kids. I mean, uh, so there's different trade-offs, but um, you don't know what the future is going to be. So you got to be true to yourself as soon as you can. And what would you say, Catherine, to people who don't understand, who, who, see you and hear your story and they just don't get it. What, because the reason I asked that question is because an opportunity like this, where you're on the podcast, somebody who's listening may not understand what we're talking about here. Why would you do this? Why would, is there something you can say that can help them better understand what we're talking about? Well, I mean, I think, again, I mean, if somebody's, I mean, if, if we equate it to be, becoming an architect, and most, most architects that I've run into or know seem that it was always a passion. It was very much a burning passion and they became an architect. They went through whatever obstacle they had to to become an architect. And you could equate it to kind of the same thing. It's like, well, okay, you've got this burning passion and now someone's telling you, you can't do that. You're never gonna be, you know you wanna be an architect, you can see it. Uh, what what architects are. You may even know architects, but you're not going to be it. You can't be that. And it's not because you're not talented enough. It's not because you're not um, uh, skilled enough, or that you have you know the knowledge, whatever, or the drive. You're just never going to be it. And and so, what would that do to you? Or you know, you could say a painter or an artist or you know whatever. 
where, where your passion's fly fishing. You know, you can never fly fish again. You can sit on the shore and watch, but you can never do it again. You know, so to have that sort of burning desire or passion essentially taken away or never be able to realize, I mean, what would that do to you? That would eat you up. That would, that would put a hole in you. That would, that would make you mean and angry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just a driving itch that you can't scratch. I mean, and, and there's all sorts of debates about, you know, mental, well, they're not debates anymore. It's medically proven, but um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about sexuality and orientation and gender and, and, and all that. But, and, but you don't go through this transition. You don't do this be on a lark. I mean, this is a, difficult road with yeah i'll get without getting into the lack of all the details it's not easy <laughs> yeah Catherine, thank you for sharing that um let's let's wrap things up with our final question um we're talking to thousands of small firm architects right now what's one thing that you would say that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow well I mean, for me, the hardest part, um, and I is 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 the business side of it. I mean, really, it, you really have to focus on that. And and I think and getting a, a good, I mean, if it's a sole proprietor, you still need to have that a, a good backup person. You, you know, a good a good project manager, a good draftsman, a good project, you know, architect or whatever. That that's what what I sort of still struggle with is finding those those good backup people yeah and when you're on that cusp of well we can't right now i mean we can't take a lot of staff but we need more staff you know it's like you're always and marketing i i'm just horrible at marketing <laughs> and getting stuff out you know uh and staying current with stuff um you know there's so much competition out there from the um larger firms from the design build people from, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I think probably the other thing that, that disturbs me is we, this is bigger than everything else is we don't always perceive ourselves as bringing as much value to a client as we do in, and that, and you know, a lot of times, you know, and I was having this discussion with, with, with a firm, a small, uh, an owner of a smaller firm last week, and they were saying, well, you know, we had to compete with fees and all that kind of stuff. And I go, well, no, we don't, we don't want to compete on fees, you know, and it was like, and I always remember what, what I heard a lecture from Sir Foster once, and he was saying, you know, we work for nothing. Well, he doesn't work for nothing. He charges 22%. <laughs> right. But he works for nothing because when he gets done, the, he's beta tested it, he's tested it enough and, and done his homework that the client basically saved so much money and made his product so much better that that 22% is meaningless. That's where we have to be. We bring so much value to a client and so much value to a project, whether it's someone's house or someone, you know, they, they live better or someone's in company. I mean, if it's a company or, a pro or something like they're in it to make money, well, then make them more efficient. They'll make more money. They don't care what they pay you, you know, so 
I don't see that as in our in our profession as much as we should. We're we're always we we've got a lot. So many times we get this commodity mentality, it drives me nuts. It's a very <laughs> very it's a very it's a very wise uh, answer to that question. I appreciate that. Um, her name is Catherine Georgeson, FAIA. The firm name is Orchestra Design Studio. If you want to go see the work that that Catherine's doing. Stagearc.com. So it's A-R-C-H, stagearc.com is the website. Catherine, I appreciate you for coming on with me and having this conversation and being so transparent and honest uh, with your story. Uh, I hope that others hear it. I hope the people who need to hear it to understand uh, will hear it. I also hope that people who are in a similar situation as you, who are struggling uh, with their identity, can learn something from our conversation as well. So thank you very much for coming on today and sharing your knowledge and your experience here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Well, well, thank you, Mark, for giving me this opportunity. And and certainly, I mean, if there are any other, if there are transgender architects or somebody that's out there that's struggling or something, please, I mean, just be up, send me an email. I'm on Facebook, send me a, you know, I'm easy to find. And, um, uh, I, I would love to hear from you or talk to you or help you through any questions or counseling. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> Catherine's very active in the the private Facebook group. So you can go to entrearchitect.com slash group. entrearchitect.com slash group will get you right into the Facebook group. Um, and you can just search for, for Catherine there and you'll find her and you can send her a DM and ask her any questions you might have. Catherine, thank you again. I appreciate you. This has been great. Thank you. If you like this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how Entree Architect will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Infratech Comfort Heaters for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership ready to edit business resources, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects, just like you. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect peers. Visit entrearchitect.com join to enroll today. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging. 
the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.